and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. I never get tired of hearing that. I never get tired <laughs> of hearing that. And I know it's coming every time and, and if I wanted to hear it more often I could just go back and revisit old podcasts as we've done 50 of them. But it's, it's something about hearing it live that, that makes it tantalising. But uh, yeah, we're back and... Obviously, we did a podcast about, what was it, about a week ago we did one, so we're doing quite well. I think this is the closest together we've ever done them, um, which is quite impressive. The natural starting point for this podcast is obviously Leicester, Um, and I think what is a factor in the fact that we've done um, podcasts so close together is because we've started the season so well. We are one of only two teams that sit at the top of the... uh, Top of the tree with a hundred percent wins success rate, which is very nice. Um, I was I was somewhat surprised that there are only two teams that have managed to win two games. I thought there would be a couple more up there, but nevertheless, we are one of them, which is fantastic. Um, obviously, the last time we recorded, we just beat in Crystal Palace, and we were preparing for the Leicester game, and there was optimism, but some trepidation as well because. There were things that we were concerned with at Crystal Palace that we highlighted. And I think what was really impressive about the Leicester game is that we were able to put in a far more solid performance um, in terms of an attacking sense. Um, And we looked like at, at various points of the game, we looked like we could just rip Leicester apart and... We did on 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 at least four occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what 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 were your thoughts of uh, the opening home game of the season? I mean, you know, for, for since we started this podcast in in lockdown, we have been desperate, desperate to talk about an exciting attacking team, and. We've never had a chance to discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> and at last, Tom, at last we do, because this is a, a different team. It was a bit of a throwback, wasn't it, to 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 almost Arsene Wenger's football, where we looked like we could score any moment, yet shake it at the back. It, we've gone almost full circle but give me this any day of the week. You get top four playing like this rather than making every game a grind. Um, I actually thought first 10-15 was tough. It worth me- mentioning as well, the atmosphere in the Emirates at kickoff was electric. The sense of anticipation all around the ground. I got up there about half 12. It was You knew what the team was going to be. It was great to see Smith Rowe and Tommy Yasu back on the bench. And there was just this feeling of, of excitement. Um, that you can't explain. And even though the game started a little bit, it, it was a little bit flat from our perspective and they had a good chance with Fafana. Um, but once Hezus opened the scoring, it was incredible. And for me, everything becomes easier for us when we're a goal up and he is going to unlock so much. That goal is outrageous, outrageous. But we just look like an unbelievable team going forward now. The way we get it through you know, for so long, you're watching the defence, you know, white to Gabriel to white to Gabriel. There's none of that. It's bang, Saliba. Where can he hit? Can he get it into Jesus? Can he hit Odegaard? Can he find Jinchenko? 
and Xhaka and what's going on on that left side. And we're playing up the pitch and it is just a joy to watch. It is just a joy to watch. I know we'll go into more specifics on the on the game, but just, uh, oh my goodness, what a team we look like going forward. And it is absolutely out of nowhere. And it's amazing the difference between Jesus and Lacazette. It really is. And I think we, we did touch on it as well last week when we were talking about Palace. But I think, again, you just have to applaud Arteta and Edu for getting a signing like Gabriel Jesus over the line without Champions League football. And I think that that just goes to show how much they are selling this project as uh, something for the future, but also something for the present as well. Because we just look so much more dynamic playing um, with Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus and William Saliba as well. And it's it's just such an exciting time. And I know you've texted me multiple times over the last week or so to say you're struggling to contain yourself. You're struggling to um, not get carried away. And it's, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. And I feel like I feel like it's been ages since we played Leicester. Like that gap has been massive. And I know that's going to disappear very soon when uh, European football starts up again. Um, but I'm just itching for the next game. I'm itching for Bournemouth. I'm itching for the Fulham game after that. It's just, it's so exciting. It's so exciting at the moment. Um what I did want to touch on, and I've mentioned it to you a few times, is that what's fascinating about it is that last season, if we weren't creating down the right-hand side with, with Bukayo Saka, we were invariably struggling to create at all. And this year, I would say probably the start of the season, Saka, I wouldn't say has struggled, but has not been as electrifying as he has been in previous, well, last season. And what's been really impressive is that we've just been attacking down the left-hand side. And Martinelli has started the season like a house on fire. And Zinchenko has settled in magnificently. And I think he, as much as anything, is transforming the way that we're playing. Because I said to my brother that if you looked at a heat map in the two games, you wouldn't think that Zinchenko was playing as a left-back, particularly Mm -hmm. on Saturday, because he just drifts into the centre. It's very reminiscent of um, João Cancelo at at Man City. And you can sort of see where he's been coached and how he adopts those different um, spaces uh, in in the central areas. But it just allows so much more freedom from that central midfield. It allows Martinelli to drift in, to hold that wide position if he needs to. It's just, it's so exciting. And the fact that Saka hasn't really kick-started his season yet is also exciting because when we've got him firing on all cylinders as well, then we are going to be a formidable force going forward. Mm. Well, and also I think I think the great thing about Saka is he can be influential without firing on all cylinders. I mean, I don't think um, James Justin got the ball off him once. Yeah, he's so secure in possession, and and yeah, he he wasn't threatening, but it it hits Saka, and it can hit it in the air. It can be hit to him on the floor. He can play it. What he just keeps that ball ticking over. He's so strong at retaining the ball. But what it has unlocked the Zinchenko piece is we now have um, what I can only describe as a, a reinvigorated, reborn Granite Xhaka. Um, I don't know if you've been, tell me about you, you've it. You've watched yeah. all six episodes, I presume, at this point of All or Nothing. I have, yes. I mean, he comes across like such a great guy, and we kind of. 
already knew that. But seeing how much it all affected him and that conversation with Bakayo Saka is absolutely hilarious in the changing room where he's blaming <laughs> him for the crossfield ball at Liverpool. What, it's what, like makes me, what makes me laugh about that is that Saka is quite clearly trying to make a joke out of it and Granit Xhaka is definitely not joking. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, it's my fault, is it? It's my fault. I put in a cross that was headed away that you've got sent off 10 yards from our own goal line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hear you, Granite. Um, but you can see that the camaraderie is there. And, and maybe Xhaka isn't wrong, because how on earth he was the last man that game, I'll never know. But story for another day. But seeing him, time, he really times his runs quite brilliantly into the box. There was one in the first half where he hit the post, ghosting in at the back post. And then he's right place, right time for the third goal. And, and it's bizarre to see a player like that unlocked. Um because he has got such a good shot on him as well, especially from closer range. I mean, the problem with him is is he's, you know, one from... He's better than party at this, but he's like one from 10 from long range. He's just never in a position to shoot. And it does make you think, what what else could we do there? And could could Tierney play with Zinchenko instead of Jacker? Because Zinchenko looks like such a, a technical player. But for me, everyone, and this is a testament to coaching, looks free on the pitch, Un- uninhibited by the pressures of the Premier League. And it's very early, you know, very, very early. Do we want to see Zinchenko in centre mid and Jacka out on the left wing when we're playing, you know, a big team at home or away? We'll wait and see. But for me, I don't think we get top four by sneaking, you know, by winning all the big games and finding a way to win them. It's actually trashing and smashing everyone else. The bigger games will look after themselves. Everyone's going to take points off each other. But if we can dispatch Leicester with that confidence again, that for me is what is so exciting about the league. And it is coupled with Tom because we, we can't, you know, I, I know this is very much us talking about Arsenal, but I, I can't not touch on Chelsea Spurs and I can't mm. not talk about <laughs> Man United and to an extent Liverpool as well. Um, the problem with it is it, it is only two games. It's really hard not to look into the future and say, well, two games, if it carries on like this, you know, we, we could challenge for the title. Um, and it's very hard because you can see how we could. Yeah. But you know it's not going to work like that. It's tough. It's very tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I think we're... I think we're as much as it's it's getting carried away, and you can see the elements of this team that, I, that is so exciting. I, I think you look at Man City um, to a lesser extent. Liverpool, obviously, the way they've started the season has been a uh, very very. Now nah, they're rubbish, mate. Rubbish. <laughs> but um, I think we realistically think that it'll probably be them too that, that sort of lead the way. Um, but it's about wh- how far we can take this team. Um, I think touching on uh, transfer business, I think we are still probably from being a really, really elite squad. I think we're probably one or two short still, um, particularly if we're looking at someone like Nicola Pepe. It doesn't look like he's going to be that heavily involved. I, I saw a link with him being linked with Nice or something this morning. Um so potentially there's that. Um, and if he goes, I think there's a fair chance we bring someone in. Um, and, I, and I think we're relying on outgoings more to offset those incomings. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what I did want to talk about is obviously Yuri Tienemans has been a source of constant linkage with the Arsenal over the uh, the transfer window. And I think do you think do you think there was maybe a little bit from Granit Xhaka with a point to prove with all that that noise happening around that? I mean, I'm, I'm not for a minute saying that he's gonna gonna think that Tienemans is gonna come in and take his place, but that is, there's been a lot of conversation about that. And I thought Jack was excellent on on the weekend, and mm. like you said, he he looks invigorated. He looks a different player, um, having this freedom of allowing him to arrive into the box late. And it almost felt like it was an opportunity for both Tielemans and Jacker to sort of showcase their their talents. And I don't think there's any doubt at all that Granit Xhaka came out on top on that because Tielemans couldn't get anything going. He couldn't get any momentum going. He couldn't dictate the play like he would like to and Xhaka was just bossing it mm-hmm. and I, I think I, Tiedemans is still someone that I, I'd be very interested in but looking at the Arsenal squad I feel like we've got cover in that that left central midfield position with Granit Xhaka with Zinchenko potentially Fabio Vieira I don't feel like that's an area we really need to strengthen in the area that I I'm looking at and thinking we desperately need cover in is Thomas Partey because if he's out for a prolonged period of time it's it's a tall order to bring in either Sambi Lokonga which I think again we're looking at someone who's probably more suited to that left-sided role mm-hmm. um and then you've got Mohamed Elneny as your as your backup, and I, I don't think as much as we like having Elneny around, I don't think he is the man to hold the fort if Party is out for a, a substantial amount of time. So, what, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I do tend to agree. I do tend to agree. I mean, I, I thought um, only one Leicester player stood out to me, and that was that was Madison. And if yeah. we were having a conversation about popping Madison there. Then I'll, I'll I'll have the conversation because um, I, I agree with you. You know, if Tielemans Tielemans can't do what Party does, having said that, I think Thomas Party might be the most frustrating player I've ever watched play football because <laughs> <laughs> because like he like, he's got a shimmy that I've never seen, honestly. He's not like Vieira in terms of Vieira just just monstered people. But Thomas Party like will waggle his hips and he's gone. Like three men just gone out the game. And then he passes it straight to a Leicester player. Yeah. And, and he does it so often. And you can see him frustrated. Now, when he was absolutely on on his game in January, he was hitting the passes too. And that's why he looked like an absolute like the best midfielder in the world, basically. He did it for about three games. Then he got. Then he went off to Afghan, came back, got injured. So he's, but, but honestly, he is the most frustrating player. So I do think that Tielemans could do roughly what he does there. I still think Party screening in front of the back four is really good, and it is that more defensive, and um, physical presence that we need more that would appeal more to me um, than, than Tielemans. And and as I said, you know, when I look at Leicester's team. I mean, Martinelli knocked Fafana's price from 85 million to, what, eight? The way he destroyed him? <laughs> oh, absolutely, <laughs> like, absolutely. He annihilated him. <laughs> um, and then it's only really Madison that I'd be interested in when I look at that Leicester team, to be honest, that would really improve us. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're right. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, it, Martinelli did make Fofana look like a pub player. He did. <laughs> so, he did. He um, did. But I think that just goes to show the the level of improvement of his performance um, from the tail end of last season, where he was still showing himself to be an important member of this team. But he's just taken it up a level, um, mm. and he he looks like a different a different animal physically. Um, he he's so much more alert about what he's doing with the ball. Um, he's, the positions he adopts is is really really intelligent, and he's adding that end product. I mean, what a finish for for his goal! Um, I think I was sat in the usually I sit in the stand upper. Um, my dad came to the game and he sat up there, and I sat with a friend in the clock and uh, lower for the the game on Saturday. So I didn't get a great view of it because I was I was in the third row and really low down and obviously that was that was at the other end. Um, but it was still when I saw the replay, it was just like oh, what a strike! And then I watched it later mm. on because it was game of the day on um, on Sky Sports when I got home. So I watched it again, and it just gets better with every viewing. Every mm. viewing it gets better and better and better. And what I liked most about that goal is that that started through Martinelli's endeavour to win the ball back. And he won it back and started that attack just inside the Leicester City half. And that's that's where it all came from. And then he's got the awareness and the ability to finish it off like that. And it's just another example of a really exciting young player. And mm. I just I, I can't wait to see what he does for the rest of the season. I, I hope he can carry on getting these numbers and getting these goals to really boost his performances but yeah it's fantastic really fantastic he really is he really is and and you know again just because we've had this insight from the documentary just seeing what a great guy he is and hearing Edu say he trains like it's his last day on earth and I think he said the same about Ben White um I I just I I, I I'm actually, I'm in love with this team. <laughs> it's such a turnaround. Like, hearing you wax lyrical about Martinelli, I just want to tell you all the things I love about, you know, any other player in the team. Yeah. Um, but it is just two games. You know, Bournemouth, it's horrible having a game like Bournemouth because... I'm worried. <laughs> we, really, <laughs> we, we really should dispatch them comfortably but you just never know you just never know um one of the things I did want to talk to you before we we look forward is, is just about the weekend really um and just ask you your thoughts on the plight of Manchester United I, I can't resist this conversation really um but just well... just we we've been bad right and Everyone's been talking about parallels between us and them, and, and I've seen some horrible defeats and what have you. And I remember under Emery, it reminded me if you watch that game, a lot of the Watford game, we drew two all. Yeah, where... two up, and they had about 150 shots on us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we just kept giving it away in the in the back line, and no one was learning, and it wasn't getting better, and Emery wasn't changing it, and it was it was it was terrifying watching it. I mean, this was similar but almost worse because Brentford were hurting them in more ways. How how, how worried are you that they're going to sack Ten Hag and get a proper manager in? <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> um, no, how, how worried are you? Because this can't go on and I'm worried that they're hitting rock bottom and that they're going to hit a massive reset. 
I'm, Actually, I'm really, you... I'm really worried about our trip up there at the start of September. Yeah, I'm really worried a new about manager that. by then. I've actually got. <laughs> I tell you what, my true question is, Tom. A lot of the things that has, has come out has been about owners, and it got me thinking quite a lot about ours. And I suppose my question to you is, it's twofold. One, do you think we've got good owners now, despite the Super League? And second. Do you think it's actually the owners that cause that at a club? Because we've now got a strong director of football with a great manager. And that means that the ownership is less important because Manchester United cannot say they haven't put money in. But all I'm hearing is glazers, glazers, glazers. And we were cronky, cronky, cronky. So I'm just wondering whether you think that is actually the real causality for something like this or whether it's not having the right people in the club. I, I think it's it's primarily not having the right people in the club. Um, and obviously, you do have to look at the hierarchy because you have to look at who's hiring these people. You have to look at who's putting these uh, individuals in, in certain places uh, within that club. But if we use Manchester United as a, as a case in point, they have spent a ridiculous amount of money over the, over the last five, ten years. Or certainly since Ferguson left, they've, they've invested heavily in this squad, in a number of different managers. And you have to look at that. Very similar to how we were under the previous regime. And you have to look at the recruitment. The recruitment is where the big problem is happening. And I've seen, I I don't know enough about the financial structure of Manchester United. I know a lot of the criticism is that the Glaciers take money out of Manchester United. Um, And I know that's a big a big gripe that fans have. And they have a big a big gripe that the Glazers aren't spending their own money. They're spending money that is being made through the club. And that's probably similar arguments that have happened at Arsenal over the years. But if that money is being spent, I don't I don't get that argument, if I'm honest, because if the money is being spent, what what do fans want? Do fans want clubs every every summer to spend three, four hundred million? Like it's not it's not sustainable, it's not viable. Um, so my 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 gripe would be the fact that it is the people that are put in in different responsibilities within the club, and obviously we've experienced that firsthand because the previous regime with Raul Sanieli, um, I suppose to an extent before that, I mean, as much as we were at the time big fans of Sven uh, Mislintat, um, just looking at the <laughs> the future of his um, recruitment. Um, mm-hmm. it's not great, is it? <laughs> so, no, did, you, did you see that Torreira was the last one we sold? Yes, what a failure the signings were. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think that's again looking at that and thinking, well, we didn't have the right people in the right places, and the recruitment policy was very much thinking about the now rather than the future. By and large, obviously, there are exceptions. Like, you look at when we signed Torreira, he was what 22, 23. Mm. And we were signing him as one for now, but also one for for the future, and that's that failed miserably. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that is that is my big takeaway: is that I don't I don't quite understand that argument about spending their own money. If the money is being spent in some capacity, then that kind of offsets that. But I, I don't know what do, what do you think? Well, <laughs> sorry, the, the the money thing is is. Irrelevant for me, right? Because they signed Rafael Varane, for example, from Real Madrid. They have signed Lissandro Martinez, 60 million. They brought Ronaldo in on a ridiculous rate wage. Yeah. 
pretty much any player, you know, in the last three seasons, I'm not going to go into now because now they're sort of the chickens coming home to roost. They've kind of bought whoever they wanted, but they just don't have a plan. And for me, you know, everyone's going, oh, the fish heads from, no, the fish rots from the head down. There we go. And and I've seen a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I don't really know, but I think it should make us reflect really positively on Arsenal more than anything. Absolutely. Because, you know, Man U look totally bereft of confidence. Agree I'm worried about the trip. And I do think they will turn it round to an extent. Um, but it is, it's quite nice watching them flounder in a way we did. Um, and, and keeping them in the doldrums for a bit longer, keeping them outside of being a challenger for the top four is, is only a good thing. Um, talking of challengers for the top four... Um, do you think there's another club that would have a goal that's offside, um, pull someone's hair in a box, even though it's a red card, not get the red card, and get as lucky by sitting on the edge of their box for 90, 90 minutes out of 95 as those had a lot up the road? No. Um, I was furious at the end of that game. And I, I think I texted you before the game and said, I hope Chelsea win 100-0. Um, <laughs> because I just... This, I, what annoyed me is I went on Twitter before the game and everyone was just like, so we're all Chelsea today, lads, right? Like there's any doubt. For me, if you're an Arsenal fan, you hate Tottenham. If you're an Arsenal fan, you want them to lose every single game that they play. And the only exception I can think of that rule was when we played Aston Villa on the final day of the 98-99 season and we needed Tottenham to beat Man United at Old Trafford so we could win the title. That's the only exception to the rule because that that I can't think of another example where I wanted them to win a game. Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree. Don't agree because I hate Chelsea as well. Well, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I think it is, it is. There, there have been the times. Wor- it's the worst game of the time- season. Yes, it is. I'm just saying there have been times in this fixture. I very much wanted the the opposite to happen. Yeah. In this example, because everyone's crowing about them, I really wanted Chelsea to put them in their place, and it was more. I knew what it would do for them mentally if they won. Whereas yeah. instead, you've got Basuma. Um, you know, doing the arms aloft to the crowd. A man played 17 minutes in a two-all draw, which just shouldn't have happened, and they're celebrating it like they've won the league. Speaking Magic. of that, that specific incident, I had the um, displeasure of driving... Uh, let me rephrase that. I went to Colchester United last night to see um, Colchester versus Bradford, and I was driving home from the game last night. And then I had the displeasure of listening to the Sports Bar on Talk Sport, which is hosted by uh, Jason Cundy, who is very much take or leave him, and Jamie O'Hara, who I cannot believe has made a career within the media. He is a clown of mesmeric proportions and he doesn't have a sensible word to say within his body and even he even he said about the Basuma incident he said he needs to wind it in a bit 
because he was like, he plays 17 minutes. <laughs> He's come on. So if Jamie O'Hara is the voice of reason for that, then there's an enormous problem with that specific incident. But he also then followed that up with saying, um, oh, he needs to realise he's at Tottenham now. And I really wanted to phone in and be like, what do you mean by that statement? Unfortunately, <laughs> ja- unfortunately Jason Cundy jumped in and said exactly that and said, what do you, what, what do you, what do you mean he's at Tottenham? And then, <laughs> and then a fan phoned in and said, Tottenham are on the same level as Brighton. And I just thought, this is brilliant at that point. But then Jamie O'Hara just kept reverted back to talking nonsense. So, um, yeah, that was my trip home. Um but I just, I hate them. I hate them so much. And I can't believe, we're going on a different sort of conversation now to do with refereeing and, and VAR. It's one thing saying Anthony Taylor has missed the hair pull. Um, how he's missed it, I don't know, because he's literally five metres away from the incident. But it's one thing saying he's missed that. It's another thing entirely saying that VAR has looked at that incident, which we know they looked at it because we got told that on, on TV. It's another thing entirely saying that they've looked at it and gone, yeah, that's fine. Carry on. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, that, that to me makes no sense. And, and apparently there was some confusion over the rules. But a hair pull is a red card. This, it's in the rules. It's literally, I can't believe they have to do it. But it is in the rules. Um, bizarre, utterly bizarre, and you knew they'd score from it. You just knew. So, look, but, but the point I'd make is that I actually wanted to f- forget them and, and the fortunes they had and the, the refereeing. Um, Chelsea need a striker desperately. They really do. Um, <laughs> if they don't land one, considering they let go £100 million Lukaku and £50 million Werner, um, they do, you know... It gives me more. What I took from that game is that gives me a lot of hope that we we, we and relief that we landed Jesus because yeah. actually him going to Chelsea, they'd look a, they'd look a different team. They'd look fantastic, um, and it is quite exciting to see that. But just early early take on our rivals is more what I was getting at, and it's it's. <laughs> Sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. Is 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 quite is quite. Again, is is hard because it's early days. But to me, I only saw interesting and good things. I I agree. Um, I'm feeling very optimistic about us, and I'll feel even more optimistic about us if we go to Bournemouth on Saturday and win. Um, but yeah, I think there's looking at our rivals that we think are going to be in and around us. It's 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 positive from our perspective. It definitely is. It definitely is. And, and Bournemouth, are you going? I am going, yes. Oh, well done. Very hard to get a ticket. And, you know, w- I suppose, would you make any changes at this point to the to the starting eleven? Tommy Asu being back, Saliba scoring an own goal. I mean, that was a lovely moment, the way the crowd lifted him up. But... It was really we... lovely, really lovely. Um, I think I'd be, the only one I'd be tempted to to change would be potentially Tommy Asu, because I know Ben White went off with a slight slight knock. Um, but I think it all depends on the fitness level of Tommy Asu. Obviously, he came on and he, he got got yellow fairly quickly. <laughs> but, um, I'd be I'd be tempted to do that, but I'm 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 not that bothered about seeing many changes at the moment, purely because we are playing that once a week at the moment, and we're winning and we're playing well. I think it would be ill advised to to, to make too many changes at this stage. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think we've just got to keep it going because that, that September and October uh, run looms large. Um, well, I won't be at Bournemouth. I am going to a game, um, Tom, which I don't think I've told you. I will actually be at Old Trafford on Monday night. I've got a work meeting in Manchester and I've snaffled a couple of tickets. So oh, I'm at Man U v Liverpool, which I think could be like visiting the Louvre. Um, in terms of almost art, in terms of the chaos that could ensue amongst those fans, I, I, I cannot wait. I think it's going to be toxic and chaotic, and I hope Liverpool win ten nil. And I think, I it's think so I th- funny to be amongst it. I think it'll be an interesting game. I think it will be toxic, but at the same time, I've just got, I've just got this feeling that it might be a game that Man United need at this stage. A game against a team that they're maybe not expected to beat, where the pressure is off. Um, and I know you, I know it's easy. It's, it's, it sounds ridiculous to say that when it's a Man United Liverpool game, but I feel like it's maybe a game that comes around at possibly the right time because of having that pressure relieved and playing against teams that they're expected to beat. Now, this could come back this statement could come back and bite me in the arse and they could lose 5-0 again and it'll be the funniest thing ever and I really hope it happens. I really hope it happens. Um but I've just got a feeling they might nick something. I don't think they'll win, but I think I've got a feeling they might nick a point out of that seeing as Liverpool just draw every game now. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. It's a very, very interesting time the way it's all the way it's all started. But uh, yeah, there we go. Exciting times, exciting times. So we had a question last week from um, friend of the podcast, Jonathan Dunn, uh, who and it's a little bit harsh because we're doing this now, and what he asked was predictions for the season. So we've got two games worth to go at, um, but there's a, there's a lot here. So she will try and do this quick fire. He's basically okay. given us a pod's, podcast's worth level of detail we could discuss. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll hand to you first. Um, so the predictions John would like are, firstly, Tom, top four. I think Man City will win the title quite comfortably. I still think Liverpool will finish second, despite their their start. And then I think this is where it gets really tricky, is is third and fourth. Um, Having seen uh, the first couple of games, I do think we will be third or fourth. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be optimistic and say that, um, but I think we'll probably be fourth. And I've got a feeling Chelsea are going to nick second, uh, third, actually. And I, I'm kind of going against what I said because I know I, I saw my good friend Matt on Saturday and I said that I thought Chelsea would miss out on top four. But having seen them play and rip Tottenham to shreds basically for, for 90 minutes, um, I'd be more confident of them getting there than, than Tottenham. So I'm, I'm, I'd love that to be the case. I'm going to go that. OK. Uh, I, I will swap those two around. Um, I like but I like I like what you're saying, and then next I'll go first on the next one, which is fifth to seventh. Fifth to seventh, um, an interesting one. Um, I think this season, uh, so I'll have uh, Chelsea in there. I will also have. I still think West Ham have a really good squad, and I think they've recruited quite well. Actually, uh, um, I think they'll they'll be there. 
And I think Man U will do just enough. I was going to make a joke and put them in relegations, um, but in the relegation list. But um, <laughs> no, I do think Man U, West Ham and Chelsea, which is, I realise, incredibly unoriginal because that's what it's been the last two years. But I can't see anyone ready to break that. Yeah, I struggle to see it as well. Um, so obviously, I've put Chelsea in my top four. Um, so by that logic, I have to put Tottenham in my fifth. I would say them fifth, um, and then Man United and West Ham. I think it's. I think it's hard to look beyond that. Okay, very good. Um, next up, your turn to go first. Relegations. All right, I'm struggling with this because. I've said to various people, I think there's up to maybe eight teams that could go down this year. Um, so I'm really struggling to just pluck three at three out of the eight. I think I'm trying to think who I think is a banker to go down, but even that I'm struggling with. So I still think there will be. I think there'll be two out of the three that came up will go down. So mm-hmm. what's that? Fulham, Forest, and Bournemouth. Uh, I really hope Bournemouth go down because their allocation is a disgrace. Um, so I'm going to say Bournemouth. And I shouldn't say that because I've got family down in Bournemouth. So you'd think like, I'd want them to do well, but it's an, it's an utter disgrace, which is a conversation for another day. So I hope they go down. Uh, I reckon... I still, I still think Everton are in a whole host of problems. And I think they will be in. I, I think they might just about scrape out of it, but I think they're in the mix. I think Southampton could have a real tough season. Um, I know I'm not really giving you an answer here, but, <laughs> <laughs> okay. but keep going. Um, so yeah, you've got the three that came up: Southampton, Everton. I think Leeds still might be in and around there. I, I said Brentford at the start of the season would be would be in and around the mix as well, but they've started the season really well. So, mm. um, but they're another one I quite like to go down because I don't like their allocation. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I don't know is the answer, Andre. Um, can you help me out at all with this? Yes. Yes, I can. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think, um, I think of the teams that have gone up, I worry about forest. I know they won, um, but I just think bringing that many players in, it, it will take time to get that gelling. And you haven't really got time in the Premier League. I, like not, Ful- Fulham also... did the same thing a few years ago, didn't they? And they went straight back down. So. Yeah, yeah, but it, it did get them to a point where they might stabilise now. Um, yeah. It's really hard because they've looked, They've all, all the Verona teams have already had some promising results. Yeah. Um, you know, if Fulham had won at Wolves, you, you'd really not put them in the mix. But... The only team I can see really going is Everton, um, for, you know, other than the three that have come up. Maybe Leeds, but I actually think, I, I don't know, I, I can see I can, Everton have have a really weak squad. So I, I'll go with um, Everton and I will say Fulham are going to stay up. And I'm okay. going to say Everton, Bournemouth and... Um, uh, God, Forest, uh, and with with Everton, I would say as well. It reminds me a lot of Aston Villa a few seasons ago before they went down, where they'd never been down. Historic club, but 
they were right on the edge and then they didn't really do enough to improve it. And I feel like that's where we are. But I actually quite like Frank Lampard, um, despite, you know, the history. I quite like him as a manager. I've always preferred him ahead of Gerard and Skull. So, um, but I don't, I don't think he's much of a manager. Um, all right, next up is Golden Boot. So I'll go first. Um, this time, Erling Haaland for me. I think, I know he only had two touches or something, but I just think when it clicks for him, he's going to score. A bit like the West Ham game, I see him scoring in just bursts. He might not score in every game, but I think when it's going his way and teams push up and he can get in behind, I think he'll just score. I think he'll score a few hat-tricks this season, to be honest. I think he's going to absolutely smash it. Yeah, um, I, I'm struggling to to look past him. Um, I know the big conversation before the season was uh, Erling Haaland or Darwin Nunez as the, uh, <laughs> the big hitters in terms of goals. But what I've seen of uh, Nunez is that he gets into some really good positions and he cannot strike a ball cleanly. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I'm sure that will change, but uh, I think Erling Haaland would be my my bet. Okay. The only other option there would be, uh, oh, Mick Arteta called him, said, now your time's to shine because I'm collecting Gabbies. I'm going to make you mine. They say he walks on water, then turns it into into wine. wine. Oh, I believe in Jesus, the Arsenal number nine. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, other than I, I, I assume we didn't need to say that we think Gabriel Jesus will win it, but there we go. Uh, first manager to be sacked that isn't Eric Ten Hag. Um, <laughs> I am joking. Frank Lampard. Ooh. Okay, that's what I'm going. All right. Who do you okay. think? Ten Hag. <laughs> you can't help yourself. You can't help yourself. You're going to see Liverpool win 5-0 on Monday and then Ten Hag's gone. <laughs> he is a bald fraud, I'm telling you. Absolutely. Oh, it worked against Groningen. <laughs> Alkmaar had no answer for this. <laughs> Idiot. Um, okay. Uh, most success- <laughs> I'm up next. Most successful signing. Uh, I think we kind of touched on this with Haaland, but for... For interest, I'll pick a different one. Um, my one I'm going to go with is Brendan Aronson of Leeds. Um, I know it's a bit different, but I think when I look at them as a club, they need a new linchpin. Um, and I think he just will be a very interesting player at a club like Leeds. Um, I quite like Americans coming into the league. I always have. I don't know why. I think it's because they're quite, even though they're not exotic, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Americans. Um, and I think he just looks like a really interesting modern midfielder with an American manager. I think Leeds are quite fascinating. I agree with you. I think they could struggle. Um, but I think relative to who they are, I think that looks like a really interesting signing for them. bit left field as well for you. Yeah, very left field. Um, I'm going to be really boring with my one. I, I think signing a summer is going to be Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to be really. Oh, a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be really boring with that because I do. I do genuinely think um, it's difficult to emphasise enough of how important a signing that is and how big an upgrade that is on what we had last season. And I think that's what I'm basing that on. And obviously, I think I've not, I've watched quite a lot of football over the last um, 
two weeks, but like not not to the extent I've really analysed other other players and other club signings. Um, but I think Gabriel Jesus is going to be an absolute revelation for us, and I think we're seeing that already. I agree. I think he'll be the most transformation of any club. But I wanted to do something um, left field and, and show off that I know. Um, I know. I know things. Um, <laughs> you, you certainly know things. <laughs> actually, sorry. I don't know why we didn't do this. It's going to be Nuno Tavares for Marseille. The man is a goal scoring machine. I mean, <laughs> I I have made a habit recently of watching random games on BT Sport, and uh, the last two weekends I quite enjoy watching Marseille. Um, and obviously, there is that Arsenal connection with Guendouzi being there. Last season, I watched quite a bit of them because Saliba was there. And now I've got that interest because of Nuno Tavares being there. And the two goals he has scored <laughs> have been majestic. He looks yeah. like he looks like a world-class wing-back. <laughs> he does. It's... And I know, I know he can't defend... <laughs> But going forward, he looks like a, a different animal this season. <laughs> he does. He does. It's mad. He looks amazing. He looks amazing. Um, and look, fingers crossed it continues and we get him back and, and another option in the squad. Um, all right. And then this one, um, for you to go first, biggest disappointment. Big In terms of just, signing? Just... Biggest disappointment, Tom. <laughs> Interpret it how you will. The <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> biggest disappointment, Eric Ten Hag. <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> Eric Ten Hag. Let's okay. go with that. <laughs> All right, I will go biggest disappointment. Hmm. The biggest disappointment is that. Um, there's going to be no surprises in who wins the league. Yeah, think, oh, that's a good one. I like that. I, I think that it's nailed on, and it would be a huge, huge shock if anything happened other than Man City winning the league. So I think yeah. that for me is a bit of a disappointment. I think, you know. We're not close to challenging, so that's okay. And and but it is a bit disappointing that I know it's only two games, but four points already is a pretty big gap. Man, you to live. It it's bizarre to stay to say it. Yeah. But they've dropped points at Fulham, home to Palace, with the number of tough games with the World Cup. Um, I think I think that's it. And then the thing I'm most looking forward to, which isn't on here, but I do think we're going to see some bizarre results around the World Cup return. Because players might be there, but I think we're going to see some bonkers things going on, which I'm I'm quite excited about. Okay, there we go. That was good. That was good. John will be happy. John will be happy. He will be happy because he was very unhappy that we didn't address his his questions in the last podcast. Um, And as we said, you missed a deadline, you don't get in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lesson yeah. learned for him, if you ask me. Lesson learned for him. But we have to be nice because he does host this podcast. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, before we end, um, last week we started um, what could end up being a regular feature, which was... Chris's my... Corner. Chris's Corner. <laughs> so Chris's <laughs> Corner, as in my brother, he asked us if we could um, produce an 11 of certain 
criteria. And last week it was uh, an English 11. Now he's gone for uh, a different 11 this week. And I think you're going to enjoy this one, Andre. Mm -hmm. um, and there's bits that are going to be very easy for this, but there's, I'm hoping it will bring out a bit of conversation. So he's asked for a French speaking 11. <laughs> Speaking okay, yeah, so doesn't have to be French, they just have to be able to speak French. And he said this was a prerequisite. He said, You're allowed one pass, but it has to be someone you think would be willing to do a Duolingo course. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, so right. a French speaking 11. Um, okay, so we've got to start with our number ones. <laughs> That's really hard, it's really hard. Um I, I, honestly, I'm really, I'm struggling. This might be the pass we have to use. Um, oh, did anyone play in France? Spina played in France. Czech, Czech played in France. Yes, and he's better, well, as much as we don't like either of them, um, he's probably better than a Spina because he doesn't stand behind his line. <laughs> we'll have Czech. We'll have Czech. Okay, Czech, French speaking, done. Uh, done. Okay, right back. Now it's got to be backward, does not it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not even a. There's going to be some debate in here. That is not one of them. We're going to have. That, that is not one of them. Um, okay. Do you want to chuck a name for a centre back? Well, for me, there's one standout candidate, and that's um, Laurent Koscielny. Laurent Koscielny, absolutely. And then, and then um, <laughs> Sebastian Scalacci. <laughs> Well, you've got Sigan, which I'm surprised you're not pushing quite. Hard. Oh, I love Pascal Sigan. And another one. This is this is just this is just to show my knowledge. It's not because I want him in there, but <laughs> reportedly, Philippe Sendros speaks very uh, a lot of different languages. <laughs> so well, the yeah, Swiss well, centre half could go in there. Well, I had Juru. I wrote Juru down. He's. I'm pretty sure he speaks French. Um, so who we go? I quite like the thought of an invincible. I do think so, Sigan. So you want, you want Sigan in there? Okay, yeah. so we're, we're going Czech in goal. We've got Sanya right back. We've got Koscielny. And we're going Pascal Sigan. <laughs> um, we are. And then left we back, what, what are we thinking? Goal cliche? Yeah, I don't think there's another option. Other than Armand Traore, which um, isn't a discussion. I've got a really good 4-4-2 here. Have you? Well, the midfield duo has to be Petit and Vieira, right? Non-negotiable. Absolutely. And I think the left has to be Robert Perez. Yeah. I mean, I... Just to say Cesc because obviously lived in France for a couple of years, but we'll come back to that. Oh, that's a good right, shout. On the right, what have you got? Nasri. But I think it has to be Will Tor. It has to be Will Tor, doesn't it? I mean that's a hell of a hell of a midfield. Um, and that, then up front, that is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get. It, it, this has been easy. Um, sorry, Chris. Uh, and then uh, Anelka and Henri. Oh, Anelka, yeah. Any advances? Not really. I, I think that's that's an interesting one because Anelka and Henri was always someone that was always also always a pair that was rumoured that Arsenal wanted to get them as, as a duo. And I think that would have been fascinating to see. And mm. I think I think that is a really strong strong team. I think the only the only issue is that they're gonna they're gonna target Pascal Seagon. <laughs> yeah, and he's not getting much cover from Clichy. No, Clichy will just sadly, foul sadly Ashley Cole not gonna learn French. 
No, he's not. Um, so that's, I think that's where you're looking at. You're looking at our, our left side of our defence as a potential area that we are maybe a little bit weak in. Um, well, so so if we just talk through quickly, so some other options just around the squad, um, added by your Pepe, Gabriel, Saliba, Ali Adier, David Grondin. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 to be yeah, fair, I think, I think, I think we need to have a little rework here because David Grondin, I think, should be in it. Remy, Remy Gard. Oh, Remy Gard. Um, Grimondi. Grimondi. Grimondi could go in instead of Sigan. Right, let's have, let's let's start working on a, on a bench. We need five players on the bench. <laughs> well, we need Grimondi for his his versatility. Grimondi for his versatility. Right, he's going on the bench. Yeah. Um, Ospina as a goalkeeper. Yeah. And then Giroud. Oh, would you be option. tempted? Would you be tempted to have? I'd almost be tempted to have Giroud alongside Henri. Wow. Not because I dislike <laughs> Nicolas Anelka, but I think that 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 combination might be quite quite special. But we'll, we'll stick with it. We'll stick with um with Anelka. <laughs> No, I wouldn't Giroud off the bench, I'm afraid. Um, okay, so he can come on last 10 minutes when we're chasing a goal. Let's be honest, yeah. this, t- this team is not going to be chasing a goal. This team's going to be 5-0 <laughs> up every game. Yeah, well, 5-3 with um, Sigan and Clichy there. Um, Very true. So we need two more two more on the bench for our, our five subs. Do you want um, Sesk on there? I think that's cheating the system a bit. I'd rather have Nasri. Okay, so we go Nasri. Bit of versatility in there as well. Yeah, so we got a strike. We need. We could do with a midfield cover. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be David, isn't it? <laughs> it's got to be David Grondin. <laughs> I cannot think of a single Diaby. How about we have Diaby? We'll go. Okay, we will go Abu. What about Flamini? Oh yeah, let's do Flamini. Okay, Fla- probably not. Bit, a bit of versatility as well because Flamini could cover a fullback as well. That's 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 so so. Check Sanya, Shelney, Sigan, Clichy. Back, back five. Will Torp, Tiviera, Perez, Anelka, Omri. Subs, Spina, Grimondi, Flamini, Nasri, <laughs> Giroud. I mean, it's it's a joy to watch that team. I mean, it's going to have a lot of firepower. You just have to ask yourself, would you pay money to watch that side? I would. I would. <laughs> Big time. The only way it improves, like you've said twice now, is bringing David Grondin. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and and just just to sign off the podcast, Tom, I'd just like to pay a tribute to someone very close to my heart. Um, wore the number eighteen shirt, named after a crisp. Um, oh, my favourite left back, <laughs> my my hero, Mister Consistent in in a team with which wasn't as easy to love as this one. Nacho Monreal stood out for me, and he's retiring, and it's. It's been an amazing run. You know, sometimes you just cotton on to a player and you go, I don't know why, but I just love him. Mr. Consistent, as I said, uh, just a brilliant left back. Clearly the loveliest man. Great for the club. Just, I loved seeing his name on the team sheet. From the minute he joined his debut against Stoke, where he really gave it to them physically, Never torn apart, never overawed, 
did a job at centre-half, scored important goals as well in a cup run. I love Nacho Monreal and I wish him all the best in his retirement. Yes, I think uh, everyone at the Boys in Red and White podcast, which is me and you, <laughs> would like to extend our best wishes and our gratitude to Nacho Monreal. And I love we, wish him, we wish him all the best in his retirement. <laughs> and on that bombshell... <laughs> No, it's been uh, it's been really enjoyable talking again. Um, hopefully, we can maintain this sort of consistency we've got at the moment with the podcast. Um, but it's been really really fun to talk about. Hopefully, we go to uh, Bournemouth on on Saturday and get three points. Hopefully, you go to Old Trafford on Monday and see Manchester United lose five nil. Um, but it's been a pleasure, Andre, uh, and I look forward to seeing you in the not too distant future. Can't wait, mate. Good luck. Bring home the points and uh, see you on the next one. See you on the next one. If you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can search for us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And I, I'm going to make a promise here. I'm going to write something and publish it. I don't know what I'm going to write yet, but I'm going to write something. I'm going to put it up on our website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening and we'll be back soon with another podcast. <laughs>